This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 High FM. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. I know you're listening to a little bit of a hoarse voice. This is what it sounds like after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur davening and all the other great things we've been doing at our shul. And I got to say, at Santon Central Shul, we really had a very memorable, how can I describe it? A wonderfully fantastic overcapacity shul. I mean, we really filled out to, it was overflowing and thank God for that. It was a, a really special high this Yom Kippur. And all I could say to all our listeners, to everyone tuned in today, is you prayed, you fasted, now you got to keep that momentum going. Because we now come out of these special days of Yom Kippur, the, the days of awe, and now we go into the days of joy. And no doubt... Certainly, we're confident that Hashem has heard all our heartfelt prayers, and certainly, Hashem responds by granting every one of us, all our listeners, the entire community, all our loved ones, a sweet good year. And now, we're ready to move on to the upcoming holidays of happiness. And our sages teach us that the joyous part of the special month of Tishrei that we're celebrating now is even more powerful than the sober, awe-inspiring beginning 10 days that we're coming out of now. So the best thing you could do is make it your personal New Year's resolution to jump on the bandwagon, catch on to the vibrant, joyous energy, the celebrations. No doubt your shul and all shuls are going to be having lots of celebrations over Sukkot, I could speak about my shul. I could tell you that our Chabad Seniors Club is going to be having a fabulous seniors circus party next Thursday, the 27th. And it's an appropriate time to jump onto this bandwagon of joy. Start the year off in this right way of joy and celebration. Of course, this is a very busy time of the year. There's so much to cram into these days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Last night, the mitzvah was, right after coming out of Yom Kippur, we start with building our sukkah. So hopefully if you haven't yet built your sukkah, you still have today, tomorrow, Saturday night, a little bit of Sunday. Another important thing, and this is what I want to talk about in my remaining time today, is ensuring we have a beautiful little of an esrik set. And of course, there's all the other things that you got to get ready for the holiday, whether it's your food or decorations, whatever it might be. Make sure, as the festival is called Zman Simchasenu, it's a time of rejoicing. Of course, people ask, what's so joyous about Sukkot? Well, there's lots of things. Firstly, you've been vindicated. God granted you a good year. So be happy, celebrate. But also, if you look in the Gemara, a lot of the celebration of Sukkot has to do with the ancient ritual that our ancestors would carry out in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Holy Temple that stood in Jerusalem. They would pour water on the altar. This was a celebration on a Simchas Beis HaSheva, the water drawing. And this was a tremendous celebration. Talmud describes how they would dance in the streets throughout the night. Whoever hasn't witnessed that celebration has not seen joy in their life. So obviously, this was a time 
of tremendous celebration as is described in our literature, but Hasidus tells us that the water celebration signifies a joy caused by a connection to God that's so deep, so true, that like water, it has no describable taste. What does water taste like? It's just refreshing. There's no specific taste. You know, you could describe different foods that have their particular taste, but water sustains us even if it doesn't have a particular taste. And I think this is a time of year to be happy, to bask in the loving embrace of the sukkah that we're going to be sitting in, the only mitzvah that you're completely enveloped by. And the greatest part is the joy, the celebration. Of course, before sukkah comes, we've got to think about this Shabbos, which is quite unique. You don't always have a Shabbos between Yom Kippur and sukkah, so it makes it even more special. We read the portion of Ha'azinu, which oftentimes is read before Yom Kippur. And Ha'azinu is the last parsha that is read on a Shabbos morning before we're going to read Bereshus again in two weeks' time. And if you think about Ha'azinu, it's a 70-verse-long song that was chanted by Moshe to the people of Israel on the last day of his terrestrial life here in this world. In fact, he said it over three times. And it's interesting, we're taught that reciting and knowing this Parsha by heart with the proper trup, the cantillation notes, actually invokes tremendous rewards. We're told longevity and blessings for material success. So it's certainly a Shabbos not worth missing. It's a Shabbos. Don't be shuled out the Shabbos. Rather, experience this Shabbos. Go to your shul. Be part of the celebrations and experience this Shabbos of Ha'avzinu, the portion that's read between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Now, I was hoping in the remaining time I got here to discuss one of the important things a lot of people are doing today, including myself, is Sukkot is approaching and we go out, we buy our four species, the Arba, meaning the Lulavan Esrik set, as is mandated by the Torah. Now, of course, to buy the lulav is quite simple. Yes, you got to look and make sure you're getting the right one. Make sure to inspect it, that it's kosher, that it's qualified. We get the accompanying aravas, the willow branches, and the hadassim, the myrtle stems. Shouldn't be too difficult to choose. Generally speaking, most of the vendors here in town have them prepackaged. You probably can't even tell the difference. And there isn't much to be fussy about by them. But when it comes to the esrog, you'll notice a lot of people sit there inspecting these citrons. They look like a little bit of a, a big lemon. And you'll see people really spend time with magnifying glasses, inspecting them, looking at them. It's something that's a unique scene. For the most exquisite esrog, you actually have to spend time studying, looking inspecting, analyzing the various esrogim that are available. And, of course, people wonder, what is it? You know, who thought that you would have to spend all this time analyzing a, a fruit? What's this all about? So, the story of the esrog is actually one of the most fascinating and complicated in Jewish history. And that's one aspect of it that I hope to share with you today. You see, the Esrig 
is a fruit with thousands of years of human use. And if you smell it, you notice it's got a very pleasing, room-filling aroma. Originally from India, the estrog is one of the oldest cultivated citrus plants. Archaeologists have uncovered seeds in Mesopotamia dating back to more than 5,000 years ago. The ancient Egyptians used esrog for embalming dummies. And Romans found it effective um, as a moth repellent. So there are many usages of the esrog, but let's see what the Torah tells us about the esrog in our literature. If you look in the book of Ayikra, in the portion of Amar where it talks about the festivals, and it talks about the festival of Sukkot, well, there we have a very... Interesting, the verse says, very simple, You should take for yourselves on the first day of the festival of Sukkot, pre-eats Hadar Kapais Tamarim, you should take for yourselves the fruit of a beautiful tree. Pre-eats Hadar, the fruit of a beautiful tree. But what's considered the fruit of a beautiful tree? What is this Eitz Hadar? Well, the original tradition, the Masara. From Sinai is very clear. The fruit that we take and has been used for thousands of years is the Esrig. And this is the fruit since millennia that we Jews have been using. It's discussed in the Talmud. It's discussed in many halachic works. Maimonides discusses it. That from the days of Moshe, Jews transmitted this tradition from generation to generation. What is what is the fruit of a beautiful tree? It is the Esrog. Now, what I want to share with you is an insight from Nachmanides, where he analyzes the Esrog of what it means, Hadar, what makes the beautiful so desirable, beautiful, so splendid about the Esrog, which we'll, t- we'll talk about when we'll be right back. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 IFM. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. Today we're talking about the Esrug. Everyone's going out there buying their Lilavan Esrug sets. And in the next 15 minutes, we're going to analyze a little bit of the Talmud's concept, the idea of what makes the Esrug the beautiful fruit. And stay tuned. So let me share with you what the Gemara says. The Talmud summarizes the 40 generations of oral tradition of Torah interpretation. And the Torah says from these three words that we learn, pre eight Hadar. Torah says, the fruit of a beautiful tree, it's referring to the Esrik. And the Gemara does this in four ways. Now, let me share with you the four ways that the Talmud tells us, and let's see what we can learn from them. So focusing on the three words, pre eight Hadar, which literally means fruit of a beautiful tree, the Talmud derives that this is a very rare tree because this has got to be beautiful. There's many beautiful trees. But we're talking about the Torah's description, fruit of a most beautiful tree. Now, why would the verse not just say pre-hadar, a beautiful fruit? Why mention pre-eitz-hadar? Why mention the tree? And it's obvious that fruits grow on trees, or at least the verse could have said pre-me-eitz-hadar, fruit from a beautiful tree. But why does it say pre-eitz-hadar, fruit of a beautiful tree. The Torah here is intimating which tree it is. It's a tree, 
says the Gemara, which tastes similar to its fruit. The bark of the tree has the same taste as its fruit. Now that's quite unique. This means that the natural oils and the other chemical components that impart the unique fragrance and flavor of an esrig actually exist in this in the bark of the tree. So the, the bark of the tree actually has that smell, the taste of its very fruit. You might be wondering, isn't that common maybe to many citrus species, right? Well, the leaves, peel, the bark of the other citrus species also carry the unique components of the fruit and maybe have that distinctive fragrance, the beautiful aroma that the esrig has. Well, the Gemara tells us an esrig is unique and that it has little or no pulp. Try it yourself. You can open an esrig. Most edible fruits, you cut them open and there's a lot of pulp and fruit and taste. But the main part of the esrig is actually the rind, the very thick white husk that, that's covering the outer green yellow peel. Beer is a much closer flavor to the bark than does the pulp of the other of any other fruit. Now, whereby other citrus fruits, like say an orange or a lemon, the pulp of the orange or lemon that we eat or you squeeze it out in your kitchen constitutes the primary fruit. By the esrig, it's different. It's the rind, which is similar to the bark which constitutes the fruit that we call the esrig. The rind can be eaten, or a lot of people turn it into jam. Well, that's number one. The Gemara tells us that the bark of the tree and the fruit bear similar taste. Number two, Rabbi Yudah Anasi points out that the word hadar, which we translated as beautiful, well, in a Torah scroll, you notice there's no vowels. So the word Hadar could also mean a sheep pen. Just as a pen has both old and young animals, so does the tree, this tree in question, what's a beautiful tree? Has old and young fruit at the same time. And this, of course, must refer again to an asterisk tree whose fruit continues to grow through all seasons allowing for a single esrik tree to simultaneously hold fruits in multiple stages of growth. Now, non-citrus trees generally drop their fruit at the end of the season. Even most other citrus trees drop their fruit when they are overripe. Although some individual fruits still remain on the tree, when it comes to the esrik, Unpicked crop generally remains on the tree until the next year's crop is growing and certainly remains longer on the tree than any other citrus fruits. So although some fruit falls off, a very impressive percentage remains on the tree, sometimes for as long as even three years. And this is unparalleled in any other fruits. And I got to tell you, I was in Israel recently and went to a esrig, um, I don't know what you call it, a vine, uh, what's the correct word? And I got to see there, they wait, they actually stay on their trees throughout the entire year. So the esrig again is unique 
as a tree that stays on throughout all seasons of the year, which doesn't apply to most other trees that I'm aware of. Number three, Rabbi Avo and the Gemara suggests very similarly that the clue to the identity of the Priyetzadr, the beautiful, splendid fruit, is Hadar, that it dwells, the Esfrig is unique, while all other fruits or most other fruits have a particular season in which they grow, the Esfrig dwells in the tree all year round, continuing to grow and develop under a variety of climates and conditions. That leads us to number four, Rabbi Ben Azai. He says that Hardar is etymologically related to the Greek word hyder, which is water. Think of hydro, right? Hydration. It's a reference to the fact that the Esric tree needs a lot more water, a lot more hydration than other trees. Rain is insufficient to sustain the Esric tree. It requires irrigation all year round. And it's as though the verse reads, fruit of the tree that requires much water. Okay. So, based on what the Gemara tells us, it would seem that the identification of a kosher esrig is quite simple. But there's a major problem that arose and it divided much of the world of rabbinic scholarship during the 19th century. And for this, we have to acquaint ourselves with the botanical realities of the Esric tree. But my friends, I don't know if we're going to have sufficient time for that today. So perhaps next week I could continue on this theme if I'm here. But I do want to share with you a few more insights about the Esric today. Firstly, I'm sure you're very familiar with one of the great ideas of the Esrug that is different than the other four kinds. You see, if you look at the lulav, the lulav comes from a date palm tree, has taste, but no smell. Take the hadasim, the myrtles. They come from, I mean, you could taste the myrtles. They have a pleasant aroma. There's a nice smell. But there's no particular taste to the Hadassim, there's no taste to them. It's only a fine fragrance, a beautiful smell. Take the Aravos, the willows. No taste, no smell. Okay, what are we left with? Well, we're left with the Lula, the Esrug. The Esrug has both smell and taste, as we've been describing And so our sages tell us, each of these four kinds symbolizes a different type of person in this season of the year. And with this, I want to conclude today's message, is that we bind all four types together. You see, the taste perhaps symbolizes someone who studies Torah and is able to teach the Torah. The aroma perhaps symbolizes someone who's got a fine aroma around them to create a wonderful fragrance by the good deeds they do. And the esrug has all of those. It has the taste and the aroma. The lulav has the taste symbolizing the Torah study. The myrtle has the flavor, the smell, the aroma symbolizing when it does lots of good deeds, one of mitzvahs. But the willow has got none of that. And yet everyone is joined together 
we bring, we bind all four types together because Sukkot is a festival of unity. We have to recognize that a community needs all personalities, where they are filled, whether they're filled with Torah mitzvahs or not. We all come together. I'm going to have to conclude my show here today as I have to run to an AGM. But my dear friends, thanks for tuning in. And I hope you'll all have a joyous and meaningful festive Sukkah celebration. And perhaps next week we can continue the theme of the Esrog and the uniqueness of that special fruit. Chag Sameach. Celebrate. Enjoy this season of the year.